0: Well, good morning, good morning. Uh, So glad that you are here worshiping with us this morning. If you knew, again, welcome to Providence. Uh, Thank you for being with us. Uh, We are in a series uh, titled the story of God series, the story of God. And throughout this series, what we're finding out is that despite uh, human failures, despite our propensity to go towards what is wrong, to uh, not be who God has made us to be, uh, God continues to advance his kingdom. His kingdom still flourishes. Can I get an amen on that? Right? We cannot do anything to mess up God's plan. We see it in the story of Abraham or of Adam and Eve, the story of Noah, the story of Abraham, the story of Jacob, where they keep messing things up. They keep messing up God's good plans for them, right? But God's kingdom continues to flourish. Uh, Last week we saw Joseph. Here's Joseph. God has amazing, wonderful plans for Joseph plans to lead, to have people essentially bow down before him, but then something goes wrong. His brothers sell him into slavery. And it appears as though God's plans for him are not going to work out, just like in our lives. God has wonderful plans for us, amazing, incredible plans for us. We have dreams that he's given us. He's given us passions and skills, but there are times when it seems that these plans are not going to pan out. What we see in Joseph's story is, no matter what, because God in his providence is directing, guiding creation to where he wants it to go, his plans will always work out. And we were reminded, even when skies are gray, even when things are not working out in your life, or it seems that way, don't let your faith decay. Because God has not forgotten you, and the plans that he has in store for you, he will make sure they happen because of his son, Jesus can I get an amen on that too? Amen. Today we continue where we left off last week. Growing up and to this day, I love stories. In the Congo, when we were young, we remember sitting by the fireplace every evening and just hearing story after story after story. And in every story, you have uh, the good guys: yes. Batman, Robin. Robin. the Joker, the Joker. <laughs> Uh, Captain Hook Peter Pan Peter good. Uh, it's a little harder Sarah Connors Who that? <laughs> I've dated myself at that at that point uh, the Dalmatians <laughs> Good uh, Peter Edmund and Peter Edmund Susan and Lucy <laughs> White witch. White witch. great uh, Captain Ahab? The West. who's the good guy in that one by the way? Thank you, thank you, The Well. Rocky. It depends. depends. Rocky 3. Ivan Drago, thank you. It's not Apollo because they become friends, okay? Uh, Atticus Finch. Racism. True, true. But there's a particular character, there's a particular character in there. Anyone know? Bob Ewell. Uh, Othello. Thank you. Beowulf. Grendel. All right, you guys get a C minus on that, okay? C minus. In stories, right, you have the good guys and the bad guys. And the bad guys are usually the ones who are oppressing, the ones who are unjust, usually towards the bad guys. Today, we're going to see a good guy and we're going to see a bad guy. What we're going to see is the Lord working in and through both of these people's lives and treating them in different ways that are unique and shocking. In the story of Joseph, uh, there's a pattern that happens. And the pattern is this. Uh, There's something good happening in his life, something uh, favorable. Uh, Second thing, there's a dream or aspiration that takes place. Uh, Something goes wrong and a clothing item, whether a coat or a cloak gets stripped from him, And Joseph ends up in the pit. So in Genesis 37, his father uh, is favorable, gives him favor, loves him more than all the other brothers, uh, gives him a special coat. And he then has what? Dreams, where they bow down to him. Um, The brothers don't like that very much, so they get mad. They strip off his what? Coat. He ends up in the pit. He eventually sold to Egypt. When he gets there, he uh, rises up as Potiphar buys him. He becomes a servant of Potiphar. And we're told that Potiphar uh, gives him favor, makes him the, the lead servant, the lead slave in his household. Then the wife of Potiphar has an aspiration, a dream to sleep with Joseph. He refuses and something goes wrong. As he's running away, his cloak gets ripped. And he ends up in prison. In the Hebrew for prison, there's the same word for the pit. Favor. A dream or aspiration. Something goes wrong. He ends up in the pit. What we see here is a man who, you could say, has suffered injustice. Done nothing wrong so far in the story as far as we know. He's the one that's been oppressed. Close your eyes for a second. We've all been oppressed. We've all experienced injustice. In your life, think of a moment where you've experienced injustice. Someone did you wrong. Someone took something from you. Someone said something about you. Someone assumed something about you that was not true. And the result is you're the one who has suffered. How did you feel? What was happening in your mind? You can open your eyes. Just as there are people who are oppressed, usually the good guys, the ones experiencing injustice, there are also people who do the oppressing, who are the ones who are causing the injustice in our world. In the Joseph story, the people who, are, who oppressed him are his brothers, led specifically by one single brother. In chapter 37, we're told that uh, Judah decides, hey, let's not kill him. Let's eventually, let's just sell him into slavery. Yeah. And so the reason why he ends up in slavery is because of Judah. He's the one who oppresses Joseph. Brother versus brother. I want to remind this again, this family is jacked up. They're messed up. My brothers and sisters got mad, have gotten on my nerves so many times, but I would never sell them to slavery. This family's messed up. Brother versus brother. In fact, this is the first sin, is it not? One of them, Cain and Abel. Right? When we fight against each other, we're fighting against our brother, against our sisters. The greatest empire I would say is Rome. How did Rome start? Brother versus brother. This past week, my wife and I were watching the film Napoleon. It's pretty, pretty graphic in some scenes. And I'm watching this. I'm seeing people kill people in the most graphic and awful way. I'm like, Kelly, what does God think about this? His children hurting each other. I'm reminded of the Civil War where you had a brother fight a brother because one brother was oppressing another brother. No pun intended on that. Brother versus brother. See, sometimes people who are attacking us, who are oppressing us, who are unjust towards us, the good guys, us, the good guys, could be our brothers, our sisters, people that we know well. But we also know that the bad guys, the oppressors, the unjust people will one day face consequences. In our story here, uh, we're told after the event of of selling uh, Joseph into slavery, uh, Judah runs away from home. We're not told why. Maybe he feels guilty because his father keeps mourning for Joseph. But he leaves home and goes to the land of Canaan. And from there, he marries a Canaanite woman, which is something Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob refused to do. What's happening here is Judah, because of his oppressive lifestyle, because of his unjust lifestyle, he's left God's desire for him and gone to be with the pagans, with the enemies. And he settled among them. After World War II, towards the end, the allies came into certain neighborhoods and took the Germans and had them walk through the concentration camps to visually see and smell what happened. And these Germans told themselves... We cannot believe we did that. Just as sin will take you further than you want to go, so will injustice. When you do something, someone wrong, you'll end up saying, "How did I get to where I am today?" Now, while in Canon, we're told that Judah uh, is married, has three kids. I'm going to go through real quickly chapter 38. But essentially, uh, the oldest kid marries a woman named Tamar. But because he's wicked, he dies. And in their culture, the right thing to do is when the oldest dies, the next kid marries the widow so she won't become homeless or lose her identity as a human being. So the second son of Judah marries Tamar. But because he's also wicked, guess what happens to him? He also dies. Now, Judah says, okay... The problem is not my son's, it's actually Tamar. When in reality, the problem is who? His son's. When you are the bad guy, when you are the one doing injustice, you cannot see your own faults. You cannot see what you're doing wrong. It's everyone else's fault, but your own. When in reality, you are the problem. Tamar, discovering that, hey, the third son won't be given to me, decides to trick Judah. And so she goes and puts the clothes of a prostitute. And we're told that Judah goes to a place called Timnah. And when he gets there, he sees Tamar. His wife is long past, and so now he wants to sleep with someone. So he finds Tamar, and they essentially agree to sleep with each other. Now, before doing so, she asks him in verse 17, or sorry, verse 16, "Uh, what will you give me to sleep with me? And he said, I'll send you a young goat for my flock. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. What pledge should I give you? And she asked in verse 18, your seal, its cord, and the staff in your hand. He gives it to her, sleep with him, and then he leaves. She basically says, give me uh, your passport. Give me your license, driver's license. Let me keep your identity until you pay me what is mine. And Judah gives her that for momentary pleasure. We're told three months later, Tamar is pregnant, and because in their custom you you cannot get pregnant uh, outside of marriage, the cost is her dying. So Judah says, "Hey, we got to kill her. We got to burn her to death." And in verse 25, as she's being brought out, she sends a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these things. The cord, the staff, this person's the one who got me pregnant. What Tamar does is she calls Judah out. The culture says, give me the next son in line, but you refuse. You've not treated me right as you should. So I'm calling you out. There's time and place to call out injustice. To say, Here's, this is wrong, Let's call it out. Because if we don't, guess what happens? Oppression, injustice, uh, the, the bad guys continue doing what they are doing. Throughout history, people we love and respect have called that injustice. Think of Jesus. Calling that injustice where the, the, the sinners and the, and the prostitutes and the tax collectors cannot approach God because of a system that's in place. The church fathers, Athanasians, Irenaeus, stood up against kings and rulers who were unjust. The Protestant reformers, William Wilberforce, MLK, Rosa Park, Mandela. They stood up against oppression, against the bad guys. They called it out for what it was. And there's results that come from that. In our text here, because tomorrow calls it out, what we discover is that the oppressed... Or liberated the, the good guys who are being attacked, God liberates, God meets them there and sets them free. The Lord liberates the oppressed, the quote unquote good guy. Tamar is saved from death because of what she did. Later on in chapter 40, uh, 41, we're told about Joseph while being in prison, he is set free. The reversal happens where he's pulled from the pit, he's given clothes. Pharaoh has dreams, and the result is he's now second in command. This is God working to set people free who've experienced injustice. Later on, what we'll discover in chapter 49 is uh, when Jacob blesses his sons, Joseph gets the birthright. He gets the right to rule the family. Right? God liberated him from his suffering. God freed him from the wrong that he faced in this world world in our society injustice takes place people are oppressed but because God is a just God because God is a just God who is directing creation to where he wants it to go one day justice will prevail if you are facing injustice because of the color of your skin because of the way you talk because of where you're at because how much money is on your bank account know this there comes a day. In fact, when I was younger, I'll be at home as a kid acting a fool, being stupid, disrespectful. Mom, put me aside. Stop doing this. I didn't listen. I kept doing it. And famous words came from her mouth Wait until your father comes home. <laughs> the car pulled up in the driveway. I put a pillow on my bottom. Dad was home. There comes a day where our Father will come back. Scripture calls us the day of the Lord. Amen. And on that day, justice will prevail. Because the Lord is the Lord of those who experience injustice and who are oppressed, who we call the quote unquote good guy. Now, that's not very new. Right? We all long for, we all hope for the good guys to be liberated, to, to be set free from what they're going through. What is new, what is shocking is the same God who liberates the oppressed is the same God who also liberates the oppressors. We don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. The same God. Genesis 38, verse 26. After Tamar says, hey, here are the stuff belonging to the men who got me pregnant. Verse 26, Judah says this. It says, in fact, Judah recognized them. The same word user, nakar, is used for uh, uh, Jacob recognizing this this is my son's outfit. So we're told here uh, Judah recognized the the things that that were his, and he says, she is more righteous than I. She's more righteous than I am. He's admitting I have not been a just person. I've not been the good guy I should be. And from there on, his life changes. We're told later on that Tamar has two kids, Perez and Zerah. Now, in scripture, names are important. They don't waste space because they needed to preserve the space when they wrote the text. Perez, name means to break out, as in break free. And Zerah means the light. So you could say Judah at this point in his life has broken free because God has liberated him from being an oppressor. And he now sees The light, But it continues. Eventually he goes back home. And while he's home, there's a famine that happens across that part of the world. And they hear that in Egypt, there's a guy who's selling food to those who can come and purchase it. And so he and his brothers, they go down to Egypt to get food. And eventually bow down to Joseph without knowing it. Joseph plays along. He says, hey, send me your youngest brother who's back at home. And he keeps one of them, Simeon, until Benjamin comes down. The brothers go back, tell their father what happened. And the father says, I will never send Benjamin down with you, guys. I've already lost Joseph. I will not lose Benjamin either. Then we're told in chapter 42 that Reuben, the oldest, says, basically, Dad, send Benjamin with us. Something happens to him kill my own two sons which is just ridiculous this family is messed up <laughs> kill my own my own two sons i don't know what's going on there it's me- they're messed up jacob says heck to the no 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 <laughs> time passes by and eventually in verse 43 judah speaks up and judah says send benjamin not at the cost of anyone else. Look what he says in verse 9. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I don't bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. This is the guy who earlier said, let's get rid of Joseph. And now he's saying, I am responsible for my brother's life. They go down to Egypt with Benjamin. And Joseph sets up a whole trap where uh, a cup ends up in Benjamin's bag. They're all arrested and brought back to Joseph before leaving. And Joseph says, I'm going to kill Benjamin. Guess what Judah says. Don't. Take me instead. Take my life. Now, that should bring bells in you if you're a Christian. If you're not, Christian, maybe you've heard this before, because there is someone who said, hey, I will be responsible for the lives of these people, of my brothers and sisters who have messed up against me. I will be responsible for them. Who is that? Jesus the Christ. Here, Judas being a type of Christ, saying, I am responsible for these brothers. Christ came to set us free, to take our place, and to save us from the famine called sin. And from death, just like our boy Judah here. Judah becomes a type of Christ. Why? Because the Lord liberated him from his oppressive way of life. Now, what happens here is, in chapter 49 as well, we're told that Jacob blesses his son. And Joseph gets the birthright. But guess what Judah receives? 49, verse 10. Jacob says of Judah... The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. The story so far has been, Abraham, I'll give you the blessing and from you will come somebody who will bless the whole world. It got passed on to Isaac, to Jacob. And in our story here, it's going to who? Judah. It's why Christ is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it happened because Judah was liberated from his life, from his unjust life, and made anew. But it gets a little bit better than this. The rest of the biblical story, if you read it carefully enough, you'll see a connection between Judah and Benjamin. First, Second Samuel: A guy named David shows up from the tribe of Judah, and he saves the king Saul from the tribe of Benjamin from a great warrior called Goliath. Later on, the son's son, or the king's son, Jonathan, saves David from helping him escape. But then later on, David comes back and saves the son of Jonathan. These two tribes, when the kingdom split apart, remain united. When the exile happened, they returned back together. New Testament. A guy named Paul says, I do all that I do. I get shipwrecked. I get whipped. I get stoned to death. I get flogged. Why? Because someone named Jesus from the tribe of Judah set me free. Amen. Judah's tribe becomes a very important in the biblical story. Why? Because God met Judah where he was at and he liberated the oppressor, the bad guy, from his way of life the lord liberates the good guys and the bad guys doesn't matter what you are done who you are good guy or bad guy the lord offers you redemption he sets you free from what you're doing and gives you something new something beautiful so what should be your response this morning What's our takeaway this morning? I would say this. To love our enemies. To love the oppressor. To love that person who's unjust towards you. See, it's easy for us to love people who are good to us. It's easy. But guess who else does that? Sinners, says Jesus. Jesus. It's harder to love someone who's done you wrong. But Christ says, love your enemies. And guess what? Don't just love them, do good to them. Why should I do good to my enemies? First of all, like us, the bad guys, the the oppressor, the person who's unjust also needs deliverance from their oppressive way of life. James Cone says, I'm paraphrasing, the oppressor. It's just as oppressed as the oppressed. There's a sin that's captured the oppressor's spirit that causes him to be unjust and cruel as they are. Second reason why I love my enemy. I'm a sinner. It's like the oppressor. I have a plank. I have a speck in my eye just like they do. So why reject them when Christ loved me while I was his enemy? We need as much saving as they do. Finally, I may be be the good guy in my own story. But guess what? I'm also part of a system that causes oppression. I can give example after example after example how we profit from things that cause other people to suffer. This is very unpopular. No one ever says, hey, I'm a bad guy. No one ever says that. We're all the good guys. Turn on the TV, this side, this side. Hey, we're the good guys. No, no, we're the good guys. They're the bad guys. That's what we do. But we all have been unjust. We all have been the bad guys. And we also need liberation from the Lord. I can tell you from my life. In the Congo when I was five years old, five years old. Me and my friends took rocks and threw them at an albino kid. Only because he was different. As a five year old, as a seventh grader, I was cruel to a kid who was friendly towards me because I wanted to fit in with the fourth graders. As a teacher at a Christian school, it's before I was a pastor. <laughs> I've been unjust towards certain students because they're arrogant. I've been unjust I've been cruel I've been the bad guy if I can say Lord forgive me why can't I forgive someone else we must love the oppressor because they're just like us if the band would come back up how how can I love the person who's unjust who's oppressed me Who's the bad guy? Who's the enemy? I want to challenge us this week to do this. Take a few moments and pray for the oppressor. Pray for the bad guy. Something simple as as saying, hey, Lord, may you be with this person. May you liberate them from the oppressive way of life. And may you be good to them. Try that. If you say, well, that's too, easy. That's, too, that's too easy to do, well, praise the Lord. Let me tell you this. Invite that person to coffee and hear their story. Right? We must love the oppressed, absolutely. Those who are experiencing wrong, absolutely. But we must also love the oppressor. Those who are doing wrong. Jesus says, God is good. God is kind. To the righteous, the good guys, and the wicked, the bad guys. A few weeks ago, our brother Juan did an amazing sermon from Isaiah 19. As we began our our next three-year goal, to be one church with multiple expression, multiple gatherings. Juan reminded us from this passage in Isaiah 19, where God tells Israel, the, the good guys says Israel you are my inheritance you belong to me now you would think he would say well Egypt who's oppressing you who has oppressed you and continues to do so or or Syria who who invented crucifixion they're also bad you would think I would say I will destroy them but in this text he says Assyria Egypt you're my people you're my inheritance. Both those who've been oppressed and the oppressor, God says they're His. There will come a day where your enemy will worship God with you. Think about that. You're worshiping God, and there's, a, oh my gosh, you're here. Why? Because God liberated you, but God also liberated him or her. And that one day is a future thing, yes, but in God's body, in God's church, That one day is right now. So leave here and love the oppressor because God loves them as much as he loves you. Would you bow your heads? If you're in here and you say, hey, I have oppressed other people. I am the bad guy. If you're in here and say, no, I've experienced injustice. I need someone to liberate me. If you're in here, you say, you know what? I don't know who Jesus is at all. I want to know him. He wants to meet you where you're at and offer you redemption. In a moment here, you'll see people appear to pray with you and for you. And I invite you to come on up. They're not here to judge you. They're just as broken as you are. I invite you to come on up and pray with them. Because the Lord wants to liberate you where you're at and give you a new story, a beautiful story that we cannot see unless we come to him and receive his liberation. One day, we'll get to worship the same God together. God, you're the God of the oppressed, but you're also the God of the oppressor. All things belong to you. and God, you set people free. So my prayer this morning, God, that you set us free. No matter where we're at, that you meet us, like Judah, one day we can say, "Land of trouble, Judah came for me. He liberated me, and made me into a new person." Father, we love you. We adore you. All this for your glory. Amen.